Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Trust in God is not just the start of the journey, it is the journey. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah had a really rough time. He was preaching destruction to the Israelites because of their persistent rebellion against God. And for that, he was ridiculed, arrested, imprisoned, mistreated and so on. And how does he respond? As a mark of his real character in the midst of adversity, rather than wallow in the woe is me's, Jeremiah was thinking of others. Go figure. As we join Dr. Corbett, we hear of Jeremiah's salvation, as it were. Tonight, I will save you because you trust me. And here we have Jeremiah called from about the age of 12, told that God is going to use him to speak to kings. Jeremiah is not your stereotypical prophet we think of the prophet the old testament prophet you know with a great big cloak on kind of that hood kind of arrives on the scene and points his bony finger and fire and brimstone come down and burn that whole city up jeremiah wasn't like that jeremiah was a young boy and as a young boy he's pleading with the city to repent and to turn to the lord and he's, he's paying a strong price. And so by the time we come to chapter 12 or so of Jeremiah, he's quit. And he's telling God, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't handle this. And God has a, a consistent way of dealing with people who want to quit. He, he encourages them to keep going. And that's what he did with Jeremiah. And Jeremiah did. And Jeremiah for the next... We, we read there's a whole section there where every time Jeremiah had to get back in the game, he complained to God about having to do it first. And we call that whole section Jeremiah's complaint. And then we see that, that something, something happened in Jeremiah where he began to say things like this. And we, we read in Jeremiah chapter 9, I, I began to prophesy, but my eyes became like fountains of tears. This is not your bony-fingered prophet wishing doom on his people. This is a man, a young man, who feels deeply compassion for his fellow countrymen. So this makes Jeremiah, I think, relatively unique. It also makes Jeremiah someone who I think has a lot to offer us today. This is just one of the most remarkably profound scenes in the Bible. And I'll paint the picture for you. Then we'll have a look at the scripture and see if you can see what I'm seeing. And then at the end of it, this is what I want to be able to do. I want you to be able to walk away from here going, you know what? I've got a new vision for my life. I've got a new vision of what it means to be a mature person. I've got a new vision for, for where my life can end up. Let me paint the, the backdrop. In this section... We, we've now arrived at this point where Jeremiah has been prophesying that Jerusalem would be invaded by the Babylonians. Initially, when he was 12 years of age, and, he, and 13, when he started saying this, he was scoffed, mocked, and ridiculed. The Babylonian world empire, in world empire terms, is one of the smallest world empires that has ever existed. But it, was, it wasn't even that. When Jeremiah said, it's the Babylonians that are going to come and they're going to conquer and they're going to take over. And so when they did, when they initially did, because Jeremiah had said they'll completely destroy Jerusalem, 
But initially they came and they just took away the cream of the crop, the nobles, the royalty, the highly intellectual people. These are the people that included Daniel, a young boy, who would have heard someone slightly older than him, Jeremiah, on the streets of Jerusalem. And Daniel took with him the words of Jeremiah to Babylon. And he held those as his hope in God. And we read that in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, where he says, I was reading. It's like I was reading again the words of Jeremiah. And then when the Babylonians withdrew, the kings and the so-called prophets and the priests of that city said, See, Jeremiah, you're wrong. You said they're going to destroy our city. They didn't destroy our city. You're a false prophet. You're wrong. One so-called prophet, Hanani, defied Jeremiah publicly and told everybody Jeremiah was a false prophet and that within two years, Babylon itself would disintegrate and would no longer even be a power to contend with. This maybe 16-year-old kid turns to Hanani and he says this, Thus says the Lord. You say in two years Babylon will be gone. I say in two years you'll be gone. Within two years you'll be gone. Within two weeks, Hanani mysteriously dropped dead. This is no usual kid. There is something going on here. And Jeremiah continues to say, I'm telling you the Lord is saying stop doing all this wickedness and turn back to me. If you don't repent, I will send the Babylonians. I will come. I will judge. God did, and he sent the Babylonians. And why did he do it? For the very same reasons God sent Israel in to deal with the Canaanites. The Canaanites were offering their children, sacrificing the newborn babies into furnaces in the name of worship. They were committing all kinds of lewd sexual acts. They were murdering, cheating. But what made the Israelites, the Hebrews' sins worse is that they were now doing it in the name of God as if they were doing God's will. And Jeremiah says, you must repent. And they didn't. And at the start of chapter 39, we're, we're going to pick it up at verse 11, but at the start of chapter 39, we read, And Babylon, after 18 months of waiting outside the walls, destroyed our walls, broke in, and began to destroy our city and burn it to the ground. Jeremiah, at this point, has been locked away in a prison. He's in that prison because he's been charged with treason and and disheartening the people can you imagine being jeremiah in a prison cell and you're not exactly sure what's going on but you can hear buildings falling down an invading army stampeding through your city you can smell fire you can smell blood and you're in this cell what would you think what would you be thinking Hold that thought. Let's pick it up because this is 
I will save you because you trust me. It's taken from verse 18. Let's pick it up, verse 11. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave command concerning Jeremiah through Nebuzaradan. Nebuzaradan was the captain of the guard, saying, this is what Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had instructed his captain of the guard. Take him, look after him well and do him no harm, but deal with him as he tells you. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, Nebuchadnezzar, the Rabsaris, Nurgle Sa'ezer, the Rabmag, and all these sound strange, don't they? Can I just tell you, whenever you see the word mag, I, I've actually Englishized or anglicised that for you. It, it's actually madge. It, it's it's actually the same word that we use for magic. Magic. P- people who practice occultic arts. Rab means leader or captain, chief. So a leader in magic. And by the way, these are people that practiced a form of this so-called magic that believed that God was going to send a saviour to the world through the Jews. You read in the opening chapters of the Gospels that the Magi came from Babylon looking because they saw the sign that Zoroaster said they would see one day to announce the coming of the Messiah. Just by the way. And all the chief officers of the king of Babylon sent and took Jeremiah from the court of the guard. They entrusted him to Gedaliah. He's going to play a significant role in a moment. The son of Ahakam, son of Shaphan, that he should take him home. So he lived among the people. But what was happening while he was in prison? And this is where I want you to get a new vision. Because we we can follow the life of Jeremiah from someone as a very reluctant servant of God. It's a 12-year-old kid that says, I don't want to be special. (laughs) And that's so different to today. Here's Jeremiah, I'm 12. I don't want to be special. Don't pick me. Don't use me. Bit of a different spirit. God begins to use him. He feels the pressure of that. I don't want to do this, God. And then he begins to see the connection between what he's saying and what he's encouraging people to do, which is to repent. And to repent means to change your mind and your direction. And he begins to see why this is so important and it's an act of love. And something is happening in Jeremiah. And I guess if we were to psychoanalyze him, we'd say he went into a real down patch. He had a, you would have to say, this guy, he needs some little blue pills. He's suffering. He's, he's really depressed. And all the time he's telling God this. And God just keeps assigning him new things to do. Keeps him active. And then eventually something happens in this man where he deeply, deeply feels for people. You can see the parallels of Jesus where he's coming to recognize that it's not just about the mission, it's about the the reason behind the mission, and that's God's love for people. So think about this. Jeremiah's in this prison cell. Who's he thinking about? He's thinking about a particular person. 
He's thinking about a black man. This black man's from Ethiopia. This black man was captured by the king of Israel, Judah, was emasculated so that the king could use him in his bedroom without fear of this man taking advantage of his wives. That's what they used to do in those days. Jeremiah is thinking of this particular person. Now, why? How do? Where, Andrew? Where are you getting this from? Uh, I read a paperback book, and that's what they. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm getting this, as you'll see in a moment, from the text itself. This man's name is Ebed Melech. We've already encountered him. This is the guy who, when Jeremiah was thrown into that cistern from his feet, dangling upside down in. You can imagine what was at the bottom of that cistern. It was Ebed Melech that pleaded with the king by taking his own life into his hands to release Jeremiah. That took some courage. There is another Aussie vernacular word for courage. And it would be rather ironic if I used that, but I can't use it in church, especially since this man was emasculated. So, Ebed Melech is who Jeremiah is thinking of. Why? I don't get the impression that the Babylonians were particularly compassionate people. What would they do to someone like Ebed Melech? Jeremiah is thinking about this person, not just because he's heart of compassion for him, but this is the man that saved his life. And so, when I saw this, Hang on a minute. Let me get this right. Jeremiah, you're in prison. Jerusalem is literally falling down around you. And you're thinking of someone else? Does this cause anyone to have a wow moment? Does this cause anyone to go, this is not normal. This is not how our culture operates. And as I thought about it, I thought, Jesus on the cross. There's Jesus on the cross. How agonizing is it? We actually coin a a whole new word to describe the pain associated with being crucified. It's it's called excruciating. From out of the cross comes pain. Excruciate. That's what it means. There's Jesus in excruciating pain. And he looks down at his mum. Remember this scene? Looks down at his mum. And then looks at this 17-year-old kid, John. And says, John, this is now your mum. Mum, I'm going to take care of you by getting John to take care of you. What? Do you see a different vision here of what a fully mature human being looks like this is extraordinary this is you're not going to hear this on opera opera whatever (laughs) dr phil you know look after yourself put yourself first look in the mirror and tell yourself you're awesome so here we have jeremiah he's not looking in the mirror telling himself he's awesome he's looking outside the window going oh god look after ebed melk Guard him, keep him safe. 
The word of the Lord then came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the guard. And it's just, just, we're just doing this for a minute. <laughs> Could Jeremiah have become this phenomenally mature man if he hadn't gone through adversity? My answer is, I don't think so. And if I know that, I've got a problem. What's my problem? When adversity comes, I don't like it. When adversity comes, you heard. I just gave you a soundbite of how I pray through adversity. (laughs) It bears great resemblance to that, let me tell you. And yet God had used all the adversity that Jeremiah had faced to make him into the man he wanted him to be. And this is, this is where I, I was thinking, not just of Jesus on the cross, but I think, oh, who in, the, who in Scripture faced some of the greatest adversity? I just heard someone whisper it. Who was it? Job. Did you say that, Truth? Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Job. I, I, I think that the point of the whole book is God uses adversity to make his people realize their full potential. Here's the story of Job, chapters 1 and 2. We we actually are privy to the writing room of the whole story. We get to hear the script development happen before the thing. We get to see in chapters 1 and 2 what's actually going on here. This This is a showdown between God and Satan. And this is a showdown where God says to Satan, I will prove you wrong. You can do anything you want to my servant Job. And Satan says, okay, you're on. Oh, just can't kill him. So he didn't. He went right up to the edge. Took his family, took his possessions, took his reputation, inflicted the most horrible physical pain on him. And here's Job having to scrape his skin to get rid of just the pain and the infection from his body lying in ash. Oh, my goodness. And this goes on until we come to around about chapter 40 where something happens in job where for the previous 38 chapters or so job has been saying i'm not that bad i'm not that bad get off my case you guys are lousy comforters this is essentially what he's saying and then something like this happens god turns up and god says i'm not happy with you job that you don't think that you've done anything wrong (laughs) And then he says to the comforters, I'm not impressed with you guys either that you haven't taken the time to listen. But here's what I'm going to do. Job's going to pray for you to be healed. What? Job's going to pray for you to be healed? And the strangest thing happens. When Job prays for them, he gets healed. When Job begins to speak blessing over their life, he gets blessed. And the story Chapter 42 of Job closes with Job having twice as many sons, twice as many daughters, twice as many sheep, and a happy marriage. There's a powerful lesson here, and it's the same lesson I see, Jesus on the cross, Jeremiah in prison. The height of a person's potential is realized when a worshipper of God, because you cannot reach your potential without becoming a worshipper, in the midst of adversity, is considerate of others. Considerate of others. So, 
verse 17, or verse 16. Go and say to Ebed Malach, the Ethiopian. I just, I just find that here's Jeremiah worrying, concerned for, and God speaks to him about this man. Oh, it's just beautiful. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will fulfill my words against this city for harm and not for good, and they shall be accomplished before you on that day. But I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. Wow. That is awesome. God had honoured the courage of Ebed Malik, who, as we've seen, had taken a great risk to save the life of Jeremiah. You can imagine Ebed Malik. You can imagine what he was thinking. He's not a full man. He's an emasculated man. Babylonians, they're cruel. He probably had every good reason to fear them. I just find this so tender in the midst of a city being destroyed god takes the time to speak to jeremiah about the issue that he was most concerned about and that was his new friend ebed malik and then to speak to ebed malik what a tender moment we're seeing this is just so tender it's so beautiful and you could think Ebed Malik's fear was, you could think Ebed Malik's fear was irrational. Don't be so silly, you're afraid of invading Babylonians. That's a crazy idea. And this is what I've discovered about God and us. He knows my weaknesses, limitations, and fears. And unlike others, how they treat you, He doesn't belittle us for those things. In fact, I find two scriptures, and I'm going to share one with you in a moment. Two scriptures that say, in fact, there's more than two. He knows our limits and he knows what we're afraid of. And he knows how to get us through. This is, this is just such a tender thing. And, I'm, and I reflect on Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Notice that. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. You, we could look at was it 1 Corinthians 10 that says, God, God knows your, your limits and he won't test you beyond them. Isn't that tender? And here's God being tender to Ebed Malak. And this is the final word of God to Ebed Malak. And it is so tender, it is so beautiful, for I will surely save you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but you shall have your life as a prize of war, because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord. Wow. How do you want God to reward you? You know, the I want you to get a different vision for your life. A vision for your life that says, I'm beginning to wonder if the picture I have of just me having everything I want, that's the end I've got in mind, that's my vision. I wonder if that's not the best vision. I wonder if the best vision I can have is that I 
decrease, he increases. And as I decrease, I begin to see others. I begin to hear others. I begin to feel for others. I begin to help others. I begin to be a greater blessing for others so that he is glorified. So that he is glorified. The greatest gift, the greatest blessing, the greatest prize, the greatest reward you can receive from God or anyone can receive is their life. This life that you've got is already a prize from God for you. It's already a a reward. It's already a gift. Do you realize that? Your life is not your own. It's a gift. It's only half of the statement that I've got there because the ultimate gift you can have from God, not just your life, but the life that God has given you for eternity. For eternity. And the character we we develop in this life is the character we will enjoy for eternity. Are you challenged? Are you challenged by a different vision for your life? Man, I look at these great people and I think... God, you've got some work to do in me. But here's the comfort I have. If I yield to God and I ask him to have his way, he can accomplish it. So this story is a picture of life. Life will have its adversities. Life will have its trials. Life will have people around you that won't always be conducive or helpful, just as Jeremiah did. But it's especially a picture of eternal life. Because sometimes we can... Hear the word of the Lord that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you'll have eternal life. And yet it seems like everyone else is having a great party and a great time around us. And they're not living for Jesus at all. And we could think at that time we're missing out. But we're not missing out. We are not missing out. I know it can feel that way. But we need to appreciate that God's gift to us, the ultimate reward is to have life eternal and to have it with him. And this passage closes with this New Testament truth. Put your trust in God and you'll know eternal life. And Romans 10.9 says it this way. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What a powerful, tender, precious verse from God that we can leave this planet. I've told you before, my my mission here as pastor of this church is to help you to die well. And the best way I can help you to die well is to show you how to live well. And it sounds like the journey starts at this point. But can I remind you, trust in God is not just the start of the journey. It is the journey. When adversity comes, how do you respond? Upon whom or in what do you put your trust? We hope tonight's message in Jeremiah has inspired you to trust in God. More from Dr. Corbett next week with Sovereign Provision. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, I Will Save You Because You Trust Me, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.